It's 11 p.m. in the emergency department, and you are seeing young George Alexander, an otherwise healthy three-year-old, presenting with a barking cough. As you gather his history from his concerned parents, you can hear inspiratory strider and see intercostal retractions. His father notes he's had a cold for a few days, but tonight he started to have this really sharp-sounding cough like a bark. It looked like he was having trouble breathing, so they brought him in. They think he seems a little better since they got in the car, but they're really worried about him. They thought he was having a lot of trouble breathing. His vitals show that he is afebrile, but he has tachycardia, tachypnea, and an oxygen saturation of 96% on room air. His lungs are clear, but there is diffuse inspiratory strider. As you leave the room, you wonder, what could be impacting George's breathing and his airway so significantly? And why did his parents think it got better on the drive over to the emergency department? Consider your answer as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein, bringing pulmonology from our bricks to your ears. Let's get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this episode, you will be able to first define the inflammatory disorders of the pharynx, larynx, and trachea. Next, describe the clinical presentation, etiologies, and diagnostic and treatment approaches to pharyngitis and tonsillitis. After that, describe the clinical presentation, etiologies, and diagnostic and treatment approaches to epiglottitis. And lastly, describe the clinical presentation, etiologies, and diagnostic and treatment approaches to laryngitis and croup, or laryngotracheitis. Part 1. What are the inflammatory disorders of the pharynx, larynx, and trachea? The common inflammatory disorders of the upper respiratory tract, which extends from the nasal cavity to the trachea, include infections of the nasal cavity and sinuses, or rhinosinusitis, pharynx, or pharyngitis, tonsils, tonsillitis, epiglottis, epiglottitis, larynx, causing laryngitis, and the trachea, causing tracheitis. Most of these disorders are caused by a viral infection, including COVID-19, but in some cases there may be a more serious infection, such as a bacterial infection, with serious consequences, as with epiglottitis. Croup, or laryngotracheitis, and tonsillitis are mostly seen in children, whereas pharyngitis and laryngitis are seen in all age groups. In this episode, we'll discuss each upper respiratory tract inflammatory disorder in more depth, starting from the pharynx and going down to the trachea. Disorders of the nasal cavity and sinuses will be discussed separately. Part 2. What are the clinical presentations, causes, and management approaches to pharyngitis? Pharyngitis is defined as inflammation of the pharynx, the part of the throat behind the oral and nasal cavities, and above the esophagus and larynx. The most common causes of pharyngitis are either infectious or allergic. Infectious pharyngitis is one of the most common conditions evaluated by clinicians, and most commonly presents clinically with a sore throat, usually worsened by swallowing, also known as odynophagia. Viral pharyngitis typically also presents with an accompanying nasal congestion and runny nose, sometimes also accompanied by a cough, hoarseness, and or sinus or ear pain. Bacterial pharyngitis, on the other hand, more typically presents with sore throat, fever, headache, and malaise, and usually in the absence of nasal congestion and runny nose. In either case, physical exam may illustrate erythema and purulent exudate of the oral pharynx with concurrent tonsillitis. 
Viral pharyngitis may be caused by any of the viruses that cause upper respiratory tract infections, including rhinovirus, RSV, influenza, adenovirus, and SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. Another important cause of viral pharyngitis is called infectious mononucleosis, and this may be due to the Epstein-Barr virus, or EBV, or less commonly, cytomegalovirus, or CMV. Also known as mono, this infection includes fever, headache, fatigue, and sore throat with lymph node enlargement. The full syndrome is more common in adolescents and young adults. Younger children with primary EBV and CMV infections usually have a milder clinical presentation. If a complete blood count is obtained, it will typically show a lymphocytosis and maybe with what is called atypical lymphocytes. Bacterial pharyngitis is also a common infection in adults and children. Common causes include group A streptococcus and less commonly Neisseria gonorrhea. Group A streptococcus pharyngitis, or more commonly referred to as strep throat, is characterized by fever, sore throat, tonsillitis, purulent exudates, tender anterior cervical lymphadenopathy, and in the absence of cough and congestion. Group A strep bacterial pharyngitis is unique in having several potentially serious complications due to a secondary immune response to the infection. The immune system initially responds to the bacterium and also cross-reacts against normal body tissue. These complications are more common in developing countries where initial treatment of suspected bacterial pharyngitis with antibiotics is less routine. Two of these complications that we will discuss include post-strep glomerulonephritis and acute rheumatic fever. Post-strep or post-infectious glomerulonephritis is a renal complication that occurs about two to four weeks after a group A strep infection. It presents as a glomerulonephritis, often with gross hematuria, and there may also be signs of extracellular volume overload, such as hypertension and edema. Uncommonly, but in the most severe cases, the renal function may decline and an increased serum creatinine concentration will be noted. Post-infectious glomerulonephritis is a type 3 hypersensitivity reaction caused by immune complex formation. The immune complexes are formed to fight the bacteria but get trapped or deposited in the glomerulus and cause secondary damage when they deposit in the glomerulus. Another complication of group A strep pharyngitis is acute rheumatic fever. This acute systemic illness may result in myocarditis and cardiac valve disease, such as mitral regurgitation. It also can have fever, joint pain, as well as neurologic and behavioral changes. It occurs a few weeks following group A strep pharyngitis. It is a type 2 immune reaction mediated by antibodies generated against the bacterium that cross-react against cardiac tissue. Treating the initial group A strep pharyngitis infection with antibiotics can help prevent acute rheumatic fever. However, it does not seem to prevent the complication of post-infectious glomerulonephritis. Neisseria gonorrhea infection may also cause pharyngitis. This infection, also known as gonococcal pharyngitis, generally presents with a sore throat, pharyngeal exudates, and anterior cervical lymphadenopathy. Unlike strep throat, patients typically lack fever and may disclose a personal history of or risks for sexually transmitted infections. Another type of infectious pharyngitis is fungal pharyngitis. Fungal pharyngitis is unusual in the general population, but is more common in patients with immunocompromise. Fungal pharyngitis, often caused by Candida albicans, may cause both oropharyngitis, also known as thrush, as well as tonsillitis and esophagitis. Symptomatically, fungal infections of the pharynx present similarly to other types of pharyngitis 
and on physical exam, you may see white patches in the oral pharynx. In addition to infectious pharyngitis, we may see pharyngitis caused by allergy, gastroesophageal reflux, and environmental exposures such as cigarette smoke. Patients with allergic pharyngitis may also present with other signs of allergy, including sneezing, rhinorrhea, congestion, conjunctivitis, and cobblestoning erythema of the posterior pharynx on exam. Diagnosis and treatment of pharyngitis varies based on its etiology. Viral pharyngitis is typically diagnosed clinically and does not require any additional workup. This is especially true when the sore throat also presents with signs and symptoms of a viral illness, such as congestion, rhinorrhea, and cough. If one is concerned about SARS-CoV-2 infection, it can be readily detected by antigen or PCR testing. If infectious mononucleosis is suspected, EBV pharyngitis can be detected by screening for anti-EBV antibodies. When group A strep pharyngitis is on the differential, a rapid antigen detection test can provide results with outstanding specificity. Patients with a positive rapid antigen test can be treated based on this result and do not also need a throat culture, which can take several days to process and adds an additional expense. However, if group A strep is strongly suspected and the rapid test is negative, a throat culture should be done, as it has much better sensitivity for detecting a streptococcal infection. When suspected, gonococcal pharyngitis is typically diagnosed through cultures or PCR. The management of viral pharyngitis is supportive with pain and fever control, often using ibuprofen, warm beverages, and throat lozenges. When group A strep is diagnosed, antibiotics are also indicated. Group A strep is uniquely sensitive to penicillin, so a narrow-spectrum antibiotic such as penicillin itself or amoxicillin can be used. Gonococcal pharyngitis is treated with ceftriaxone, often plus azithromycin or doxycycline, to treat a potential chlamydial co-infection. It is important that sexual partners also seek treatment, as reinfection is possible. Most oral candida infections can be treated with oral antifungal drugs, although for patients with more significant immunocompromise, they may require oral or intravenous antifungal therapy, or if the infections are severe, they may need this. Phew. Let's regroup now for a question break. What is the most common cause of pharyngitis? If you said viruses, you got it. Part three, what are the clinical presentations, causes, and management approaches to tonsillitis? Tonsillitis is defined as inflammation of the tonsils, and like pharyngitis, it is most commonly due to a viral infection. The causes are similar to those of pharyngitis since the structures are adjacent. The tonsils are modified lymphoid tissues spread throughout the nasopharynx and oropharynx and serve as one of the body's first lines of defense against inhaled and ingested pathogens. They include the palatine tonsils and the pharyngeal tonsils and the lingual tonsils. When we say tonsillitis, we most commonly refer to inflamed palatine tonsils. Tonsillitis usually presents along with pharyngitis. The patient will have a sore throat, which worsens with swallowing, known as idinophagia. Just like pharyngitis, the most common causes are viruses, including EBV, with group A strep bacterial infections the most common bacterial cause. A complication of bacterial tonsillitis is a peritonsillar abscess, a localized collection of pus behind the tonsils, most commonly in the palatine tonsils. The patient may experience sore throat, along with ear pain, uvular deviation, fever, trouble opening the mouth, also known as trismus, and voice changes. 
Often, the abscess can be seen as a swelling and erythema of the oral pharynx with uvular deviation and a unilateral tonsillar and soft palatine edema. Patients with recurrent tonsillitis and chronically enlarged tonsils may develop obstructive sleep apnea as another complication of tonsillitis. Sleep apnea presents as fatigue and impaired concentration. Similar to pharyngitis, tonsillitis is largely a clinical diagnosis. The physical exam will show tonsillar swelling with or without exudates and surrounding pharyngeal erythema. For suspected peritonsillar abscess, CT scanning is used to visualize fluid collecting in the peritonsillar space and to guide drainage. Since most cases of tonsillitis are viral, they can be treated with supportive care, such as pain control and ensuring adequate hydration. Bacterial tonsillitis requires antibiotic treatment. Since group A strep is the most common organism, penicillin or amoxicillin are the most common antibiotics used. Patients with frequent recurrences or with obstructive sleep apnea may have tonsillectomy, typically with concurrent adenoidectomy. Peritonsillar abscesses are severe infections. In addition to surgical drainage, require inpatient admission for intravenous antibiotics and intravenous fluids. Okay, let's review the above with a question break. What is a severe complication of tonsillitis that may require surgical drainage? The answer is formation of a peritonsillar abscess. Part 4. What are the clinical presentations, causes, and management approaches to epiglottitis? Epiglottitis is the inflammation and swelling of the epiglottis, a structure at the upper border of the laryngopharynx located inferior to the base of the tongue. It prevents food from entering the trachea. Inflammation of the epiglottis may lead to its swelling, which can rapidly progress to life-threatening airway obstruction, so epiglottitis is considered a medical emergency. Patients with epiglottitis usually present with high fever and signs of severe respiratory distress from upper airway obstruction. These may include dyspnea, drooling, inspiratory stridor, and a thick, muffled voice, sometimes referred to as a hot potato voice. This resembles the voice of a person who has swallowed overly hot food. Because of their difficulty breathing, patients with epiglottitis may assume a tripod breathing position, standing or leaning forward while supporting the upper body with their hands to maximize opening of their airway. The most common cause of epiglottitis is due to bacterial infection, in particular type B haemophilus influenzae. Since the advent of the vaccination against H. flu type B, the incidence of epiglottitis is remarkably reduced and is now considered rare in developed countries with access to vaccination. Less often, non-typable H. flu and streptococcus and staphylococcus species may cause epiglottitis. Okay, let's take a break in our discussion with a question. What bacterium is classically associated with epiglottitis? Haemophilus influenzae type B is the most common organism associated with epiglottitis, but is now much less common and considered rare thanks to the vaccine now readily available. The diagnosis of epiglottitis is usually suspected based on the presenting history and physical exam. Examination of the oral pharynx may reveal an inflamed, cherry-red-colored epiglottis if the child is cooperative. It is imperative to be cautious in the approach to the exam, as children with epiglottitis 
are often anxious, and worsening the anxiety may exacerbate the respiratory distress and lead to a precipitous deterioration. There have been reports of cardiorespiratory arrest occurring in children while the physician tries to visualize the epiglottis on a physical exam. So if I were confronted with a patient with whom I am concerned for epiglottitis, before performing the exam, I would make sure I have all the team members I need available in case of an airway emergency. This typically means having an anesthesiologist and or otolaryngologist immediately available. Most patients with epiglottitis can be diagnosed clinically, and imaging studies are not required except in very unusual cases. As we've already noted, epiglottitis is a medical emergency and must be treated immediately. Empiric antibiotics are given intravenously, and patients may need endotracheal intubation and even tracheotomy to protect the airway. This should not be delayed in patients in distress, since the airway may close entirely, making intubation difficult. Part 5. What are the clinical presentations, causes, and management approaches to laryngitis? Laryngitis is the inflammation of the larynx, also known as the voice box. Laryngitis may affect patients of any age, and it most often accompanies or follows an upper respiratory infection, such as the common cold. Patients with laryngitis present with hoarseness and may also have intermittent aphonia, or losing your voice. Infectious laryngitis may also present with painful swallowing and occasionally fever, but not always. Inflamed, swollen vocal cords are the hallmarks of laryngitis. Laryngitis may either be infectious or non-infectious. Infectious laryngitis is almost always viral due to common viral infections of the upper respiratory tract, including rhinovirus, coronavirus, such as SARS-CoV-2, influenza virus, para-influenza virus, among others. Non-infectious laryngitis may be a result of many different factors that irritate the larynx, including allergies, smoking or vaping, inhalation of chemical fumes, autoimmune disorders, sinus diseases, or gastroesophageal reflux. Overuse or misuse of the voice may lead to laryngitis as well, especially in infants, singers, and actors, or prolonged speaking over loud music at a party. Laryngitis is typically a clinical diagnosis and is made based on the presenting symptoms. Uncertain or severe cases may be confirmed by laryngoscopy, but this is rarely, if ever, needed. The treatment of viral laryngitis is supportive, including resting the voice, humidified air, and hydration. Part 6. What are the clinical presentations, causes, and management approaches to croup? Croup, or laryngotracheitis, is a disorder that involves inflammation of both the larynx and the trachea. It is most commonly seen in children between the ages of 6 months and 6 years, peaking at 3 years of age. It is especially prevalent during fall and winter because of the increased incidence of upper respiratory viral infections during those months. The clinical presentation of croup is characterized by inspiratory stridor and a distinct bark-like cough. These symptoms are commonly preceded by a routine upper respiratory infection like the common cold. Hmm, this sounds a lot like our patient George. I wonder if he might have croup. The most common cause of croup is the parainfluenza virus, but any upper respiratory viral infection may lead to croup, including RSV, adenovirus, and influenza virus, among others. The infection causes inflammation of the larynx, trachea, and bronchi, and upper airway obstruction by swelling and inflammation, especially in the subglottic region. 
Croup is largely a clinical diagnosis and is made based on the characteristic presenting signs and symptoms. Imaging is not usually needed, but if an x-ray is obtained, the narrowing of the hypopharynx can be appreciated on x-ray as the steeple sign. A childhood infection that may be confused with croup is diphtheria, now rare in most countries due to vaccination with the DTaP vaccine. Diphtheria can cause clinical symptoms similar to croup and should be considered in children who may not have been vaccinated. Distinctive features include a high fever, sore throat, and pharyngitis with a grayish membrane. Other complications may include myocarditis, respiratory failure, and nervous system toxicity. Croup, on the other hand, is typically treated supportively with pain control and ensuring comfort. When croup becomes clinically more significant, humidified air can help allow the air to flow beyond the obstruction more easily. I wonder if this is why George felt better after his drive over to the emergency department, as the cold air outside in the car is typically highly humidified. And then, for more severe croup infections, systemic corticosteroids may be given to decrease airway swelling. For those with respiratory distress, racemic epinephrine may be given to further decrease airway swelling. And in the most severe cases, patients may require intubation to protect the airway. Let's finish things off with a question break. What are some of the classic presenting symptoms of croup? Classic signs of croup include inspiratory stridor and a barking cough. There may also be a hoarse voice and a preceding or concurrent upper respiratory infection, such as the common cold. And that's all I have today for inflammatory disorders of the pharynx, larynx, and trachea. Let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. First, can you define the inflammatory disorders of the pharynx, larynx, and trachea? Pharyngitis is inflammation of the pharynx, usually caused by viral, bacterial, and less commonly fungal infections. Epiglottitis is inflammation of the epiglottis, usually a severe infection caused by H. flu type B in unvaccinated children. Laryngitis and laryngotracheitis are inflammation of the larynx, plus or minus the trachea. It can be caused by both infectious and non-infectious etiologies. Next, can you describe the clinical presentation, etiologies, and diagnostic and treatment approaches to pharyngitis and tonsillitis? Patients with pharyngitis and tonsillitis commonly present with a sore throat and painful swallowing. The most common causes are due to upper respiratory viruses as well as EBV. Bacterial pharyngitis is commonly caused by group A strep and gonococcus. Treatment is supportive and for bacterial causes may include penicillin or amoxicillin or ceftriaxone for gonococcus. Can you describe the clinical presentation, etiologies, and diagnostic and treatment approaches to epiglottitis? Patients with epiglottitis usually present with high fever, difficulty breathing, inspiratory stridor, a muffled or hot potato voice, and drooling. It is most often caused by H. flu infection, especially type B infections, which are now rare in developed countries thanks to routine vaccination. Epiglottitis is a medical emergency and may require intubation or tracheostomy because the airway can quickly become obstructed by the swollen epiglottis. And lastly, can you describe the clinical presentation, etiologies, and diagnostic and treatment approaches to laryngitis and croup? 
Patients with laryngitis may present with hoarseness or losing one's voice. The etiologies of laryngitis are mostly viral upper respiratory infections or relate to overuse or chemical irritation of the larynx. Treatment is supportive and resting the voice. Croup is an upper respiratory disease commonly seen in young children due to upper respiratory tract viral infections, most commonly parainfluenza virus. Symptoms of croup include inspiratory strider and a barking cough. Croup is treated supportively, sometimes with humidified air for mild to moderate cases, and with corticosteroids and nebulized epinephrine to decrease airway inflammation in more severe cases. Thinking back to George Alexander, our three-year-old patient presenting with barking cough, inspiratory strider, and respiratory distress in the setting of a recent cold, what do we think could be impacting George's breathing and his airway so significantly, and why do his parents think it got better on the drive over to the emergency department? Well, as we can see now, George has the classic presenting signs and symptoms of croup. Given his age, you explain to his parents that sometimes the viruses that cause the common cold can cause swelling and inflammation in the upper throat, making it hard to breathe. It usually resolves on its own, but sometimes it can be really worrisome due to the abnormal cough and difficulty breathing. Humidified air actually helps the air flow better, so taking him outside for a drive in the car can really help the symptoms. If it's severe, we can give some treatments to decrease the swelling in the airways and make sure he's able to breathe comfortably. We've just given him a dose of dexamethasone, a corticosteroid that can decrease the swelling and should help him to breathe more easily the rest of the night. And that's all I have for today's audio brick. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.